This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. You are tuned to 102.7 3RRR. Welcome to Radio Marinara 2017. My name's Bron Burton. I'm Angeline Charles. And my name's Dr Beach. Kicking off a brand new year. Trying to get my microphone in order here. (laughs) I've been on radio for a while. Smooth, Dr Beach. (laughs) And um, and kicking off regular Sunday programming. So um, the doctors will be in after us and Einstein will be in after them. Back we go. Eat it after them. Great Sunday morning radio. It's a pleasure to be back. It is. But you've already kicked off the year, haven't you? I did a week of breakfast, summer breakfast. What's what's going on? Was this like trying out for a new team? Should we be worried? (laughs) No. (laughs) I've got to say, I have an all new found respect for for anyone presenting breakfast radio, including our wonderful Tim Thorpe. Thank you very much, Tim, for today, for yesterday, for every uh, Saturday and Sunday that you do breakfast radio because when that alarm goes off, <laughs> for me it's 4.30. I don't know. Other, I'm sure it, well, it totally depends on where you live, how close you are to the station. But, um, yeah, wow. That's pretty frightening, isn't it? It's stamina. Yeah, great fun. With Dan Keeley, I have to mention. Um, Dan looked after all the music, so I didn't have to worry about that. But, yeah, great fun. Hey, and while we're thanking people, uh, thank you very much, uh, Fiona Scott-Norman, for looking after the uh, 9 till 10 slot. I, um, I'm sure you'll, if you're listening, you'll be missing Fiona. I'm hoping she'll be back next summer. She usually is. She comes and does, does some um, Sunday morning excellent radio. And uh, Daniel McIndoe, who uh, um, looked after this time slot on New Year's Day, and Anthony Carew, wonderful Anthony Carew, who looked after this time slot on Christmas Day. Yeah, thank you. That's yeah, all. We're very grateful. How are your summers, girls? <laughs> it was good. It probably was not consistently warm enough at a nice temperature, but 
Do you know yeah. what? I love that. I Do love you? the up and down. Yeah. Because <laughs> when you just get a bit too cool and it warms up and then you get a bit too hot and it cools down and it's, I feel looked after. That's right. Like, you know, it was 35 yesterday and now it's down to 27. Mm. And it started off at 19 degrees and we, like the smooth way, I'm just going Are straight into the weather report. Are you going to launch straight into the weather report? I'm going to straight into the weather report. We're going to mix things up a bit. Yeah. A cloudy, very high chance of rain. It's going, to, it's going to piss down this afternoon, in other words. Particularly during the afternoon and evening, chance of a thunderstorm, light winds becoming north, 15 to 25k per hour in the morning, then becoming light in the late evening. Tomorrow, down to 20 degrees. So... Beautiful Melbourne, 35 yesterday, 27 today, 20 tomorrow, uh, with a very high chance of rain tomorrow as well. Tuesday, 26 degrees, Wednesday back up to 32, Thursday, 29, 26. There's umbrellas out for each one of those days, but actually just a little bit of rain, less than one millimetre on Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. So there you go. Look forward to rain this afternoon. Lots of it. Yeah. Up to about 10 millimetres. Great. And, oh, yeah, you're looking at me scant as I am. Um, I want a disc- surf report, you know that. As, as I discard the Sunday age. Um, on the water, fun waves are on offer across the surf coast this morning with early offshore winds and a moderate swell. Water temperature is 20 degrees. Uh, on the Mornington Peninsula, solid but easing swells near 1.5 metres at Ports in Gunnamatta. On the surf coast, Bells and Winky Pop have fun surf just up to one metre. And if you are heading out on the water, you'll be interested in what the tides are doing. At Point Lonsdale, aka the Heads, it was high tide at 6.25 this morning and it's going to be low tide at about 12.30 in the early afternoon today. Brilliant. Hey, on that note, talking about being on the water, we're going to quickly go through what's in the program today. Captain Windshift. Our very own Captain Windshift is coming in to let us know what's been happening in the sailing world for about the last six months. We haven't heard from him for a while, so it's good to have him back. Excellent. Uh, We've got him live here in the studio. Yep, and you're going to do a quick... I'll do a couple, uh, one or two papers if I've got time. Um, There's been a lot come out over the summer, but um, we can catch up with that in coming weeks. Yep. what's happening in the science world. Excellent. Then we're going to be crossing to speak with our dive reporter, Terry Allen. Um, She's going to be doing uh, a a sailing report part B. She's actually been sailing with her partner across Bass Strait all night and they've now landed... on the uh, northeast coast of Tasmania. So they're making their way down to, I think, Hobart. Um, and so we're going to be catching up with Terry just very briefly on what the diving has been like over summer. And what it looks like for her down in Tasmania right now, looking That's out right. off the boat. That's fantastic. She's gone past the prom and past Deal Island. And yeah, I've seen some of the uh, images that she's been taking. Our own, little, our own little outside broadcast. Yeah, that's it. And that's assuming we can get uh, reception or that she has reception. But anyway, right. we're, we're going to give it a crack. Then we're going to go, we're going to head even further south. Again, reception dependent uh, from speaking with Terry down in Tasmania, down to the Southern Ocean where we're hoping to catch up with Captain Winder Lublink, who is the skipper of the good Steve Irwin. And they have been down south doing what they do best in terms of uh, looking after the whales in Antarctic waters and sub-Antarctic waters and particularly around the Australian uh, sanctuary zones. So if we do speak to this good captain, where's he going to be? She. She, sorry. Uh Somewhere in the Southern Ocean is all I know. <laughs> wow, full on. That's great. <laughs> so that will be good. Um, and I'm then, excited. And then to close the show, it's been it's a jam-packed week. We've um, got Matthew Selinsky coming in. He's a PhD student at RMIT. And he, with his mates, have put together a great program coming up this week called the Victorian Biodiversity Conference. I'm going to have a bit of a chat to him about what's coming up. They've got a special marine environments session 
which is taking place on Tuesday, and uh, a great, uh, stellar lineup of um, of uh, some of Victoria's uh, current very talented postgraduate students. Biodiversity, Angeline. I'm going to throw to you now because. You've got. Uh, you've been doing some research into. Um, I don't know whether to call them Australia Day honours or Survival Day honours. We have to call them <laughs> Australia Day because of the f- that. That is their title, and I don't know your thoughts. Yeah. Look, I, I just sort of call them Australia Day awards, and I accept there's a lot of sensitivity around that day, and I understand those reasons. But uh, these awards are given out uh, for the gov- from the Governor General. Uh, for lots of uh, lots of people with them for various um, various types of fantastic efforts that they've done over their lifetime, uh, and the one that there's a couple that really relate to this show that are marine orientated, and, and one is of course Mick Fanning. <laughs> so he's won an officer uh, in the general division. That's he gets an AO after his name uh, for distinguished services to surfing as a professional competitor at the national and international level, and as a supporter of a range of charitable foundations. That's excellent. Yeah, so that's really fantastic. Another one for Victoria is uh, Mr. Tim Smith for service to public administration and to maritime history preservation. And uh, he's from Heritage Victoria, and I, I understand he's the, the executive executive director there. I'm not 100% sure, but congratulations can, to Tim. We can ask Rex when he comes in we can in the next couple of weeks. And, of course, someone who's probably true to all our hearts here uh, is Nick Cave. And he's got an officer in the general division. He gets an AO after his name uh, for distinguished service to the performing arts as a musician, songwriter, author and actor, both nationally and internationally, and as a major contributor to Australian music, culture and heritage. And I guess you'd be probably be asking, why do I try to uh, link this into the Marine Show other than an, I'm an absolute fan? Is it uh, one of his uh, wonderful songs, The Ship Song, is going to come on next. Uh, but it's probably Radio Marinara's favourite Nick Cave song, I believe, if I could take that liberty. I think so. There are a few. <laughs> Dr Beach, um, Not that one. I'd come up with other ones. Would you? Oh, they'd, they'd I just have a, that one. They have a, a wet and salty bent to them. Um, junkyard, I like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go, I'll go back further in time. I think it's okay. You're welcome to go back to any point in time. I'm not prepared, so I can't kind of <laughs> reach into my brain and pull out um, pull out any others. But yeah, look, I was I've got some um, news too. But I think on that note, I think we might just go straight to the ship song. What do you reckon? I think we should. song Nick Cave and uh, what an appropriate song to kick off. It's a great song to start the year with. It is. And it was a great concert. Yes. Ron, I know you couldn't go. I'm so sorry. But <laughs> Kent and I both went and we think it was amazing. I think Tim went too. He was out in the green room holding up his kind of... He had the, he had the cigarette lighter out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, felt like I, ca- I felt like I was on countdown. <laughs> 
It's 9.16. This is Radio Marinara. You are listening to 3RRR. And we're joined in the studio by our very own Captain Windshift, a.k.a. Steve Howden from the, um, well, not Royal... Port Melbourne Yacht Club. It's the the Working Man's Club. How are you going, and Steve? Women's. And women's. Well, and Thank women's. you, Bron. Uh, <laughs> Just going to jump in straight there. All right, okay. Yes, well, this well, is the work, Working Persons Club. Non-Royal Port Melbourne Yacht Club, everybody inclusive sailing yeah. club. How's that sound? Fantastic. <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you. It's Very so, nice to be back. It's so awesome to have you here. Mm, We've nice. missed you. I've missed being a triple R. Well, you, you, had a busy, you're back. you had a busy year last year. Anyway, that, that's it. You're here. We're here. What's been happening over summer? Big regattas? How are yes. you? You're looking fit? You're looking Thank wonderful? Thank you very much, yes. All due to sailing. Um. <laughs> well, you've got, you got big stuff coming up? Uh, there's lots of... Oh, it's always got lots of things happening. This particular time of the year, like pre-Christmas and through January, because it's holidays, uh, everybody tries to jam their regatta schedule into that. Mm-hmm. So if I listed everybody's regattas now, we'd be going an hour later and you'd all be really, really bored. <laughs> all right, so, so, so you're going to give us the highlights. Oh, not necessarily the highlights because that way I'll offend somebody. But <laughs> <laughs> let's, call them, let's call them my selected ones that I know something about. Can I ask a really basic question to start with? What is a regatta? Ah, now that's a really good question. So if you take any particular class of boat, um, say 505s like I sail or minnows or whatever, they tend to be scattered all over the country. And so there'll be two sailing here and two sailing there and so on and so forth. A regatta is where everybody gets together and races. So you'll have state regattas, so the Victorian Championships, or national regattas, so the Australian Championships, or world regattas, so you have the world championships. And over summer, you get everybody having their regattas. Right. And when you say everybody, you mean everyone with a boat of the same type? Correct. Right. Gotcha. Yep. yep. So all of the 505s will get together and they'll gather from all over the country and all of the mirrors will gather together from all over the country. And, then, and these are small craft, aren't they? Just to remind us that you're... you're oh, yes. Sorry. Like, yes. When we're ke- keel, keelless boats? Keelless boats, yes. We're talking small ships here. No no lead. Yeah, good. That's good. And you, you mentioned what you are looking fit, as I mentioned. How does one prepare for a regatta? How do you get looking to be like the perfect physical specimen you are this morning? <laughs> Goodness me, the what, check what, will what, be what, in the mail, Dr. What have, you, what have you been doing for last, since we've last seen you? Um, cycling lots and um, sailing lots. Right, so just... Exercise for the stuff that you're doing. Yeah. Well, cycling. Really it. interesting thing happened. Um, I went to our national championships regatta there, Bron. Mm-hmm. So we went to our Australian 505 regatta in South Australia, and we all from all over the country. People loaded boats up and travelled from Western Australia and Queensland and Victoria, and we all congregated in um, South Australia in Shark Alley. <laughs> no, I was reliably informed it was called Shark Alley and while we were there, there was a sighting of a three and a half metre white pointer. Oh. Oh, no, not just sighting, like five metres away from someone's boat. Don't capsize. Yeah, yeah, we, when we capsized, we all got up really fast. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, we turned up there and segueing into what keeps you fit. Um, also, two times world champion Mike Holt flew over from America to compete in our Australian Championships, which was pretty exciting world champion of what 505 right gotcha yeah so he he, two times world 505 champion came over to sail in the australian championships so you had this fleet full of really really good people and we had a couple of days of bad weather where racing was cancelled and so this world champion then spent two days running around teaching everybody how to go faster oh 
cool stuff. In 39 degree heat with a great big straw hat on, he stood out there for eight hours one day oh. tuning everybody's boats. He should get an order of Australia. I was, <laughs> yeah, I was pretty impressed. I was pretty impressed. It was a really nice thing. And he just said, yeah, I want everybody to go fast. Beautiful. Mm, mm. Which is what it's all about in sailing. Yeah. Um, practice, 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 practice. It's all the little tiny things. So you might have the same boat speed as another boat but it's putting it together every time you go around a corner. So the world champion will do it perfectly every time, and they'll gain half a metre every time they do it. And by the end of the race, they're suddenly a couple hundred metres in front. And I guess being able to predict where the wind's going to come from, being being able to look at what's happening on the surface of the water ahead of you, and that, I don't know if I'm completely off beam here or... Not at all. It's all very well having a very fast boat, but going very fast in the wrong direction is kind of useless. Yeah. (laughs) I I sometimes do that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's all about wind tactics. So you're spending a lot of time pre-race trying to make predictions about whether there's going to be what's called a persistent shift. In other words, the wind is going to continue to go in a certain direction. Yep. So it might, you might say, radio sea breeze is coming in, we're going to get a left shift, therefore we're going to bang off to the left-hand side of the course. Thank you, Doug. Any other regattas you want to tell us about in the remaining two minutes? I've got two minutes, have I? Yeah, um, two. Max let three. me pick something fun. We just had the Viper F-16 Worlds held at Geelong. Right. Yeah. What's a Viper? A Viper. It's a good name, isn't it? Yeah. Sounds fast, and they are. <laughs> they're a part of the F-16 catamaran rule, so they're a particular class of F-16 catamarans. Rocket ship fast, mm. absolutely fantastic little boats. And so they had the World Championships there at Geelong. Which was run won by an Australian, which we're very pleased to see. Nice. What does it take to sail, um, if you're sailing in a world championship, say Geelong or anywhere in the world, mm-hmm. do you need to, how do you get your boat from potentially the other side of the world? Are these people who are just paying huge amounts of money to bring their boats across? Um, and having, seeing as I've just been tasked with the wonderful responsibility of organising next year's containers to America for the 505 class, I can answer that. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't just get there and borrow it off a guy called Steve? No, that does happen. Right. You, uh, often there's, you know, say, for example, there's going to be a, a race meeting in France. Yeah. Everybody gets on the phone and says, anybody got a boat available for charter, da-da-da. But uh, most people, because they've tuned their boats and got them right and spent all year getting the boat right... Whack them in the they container. They want to tap, whack them in the container. Okay. So we all get together and we play Tetris and jam as many <laughs> boats as possible into a container. Boat Tetris. Oh, yeah, it's hilarious. Um, and off you go. And I get, and by sea, obviously, so it'll take a couple of months, two or three months yeah, before you it gets lose, there. So you, you lose, lose your, your boat, boat for a while. Three months. It's right. really bad. Right. And does that have a, a, a detrimental impact on your sailing skills or your likelihood of doing well in the competition if you haven't got your boat with you? But I suppose everyone, well, is in the same boat, aren't they? Because... <laughs> could be, yeah. Very good, Ron. See <laughs> you sharp this morning. <laughs> Sorry, don't expect it's not going to last. Um, yeah, but everyone else, they're all, everyone's in the same position because they've all lost their boats, I guess, if, if you're looking at a world... Yes and no. So Australians are particularly good at it because we're on the wrong side of the world to absolutely everybody else. Mm. And so every time there's a world championship, we all travel. Um, a lot of the internationals go, no, no, it is not very close. We're not going. <laughs> um, sort of I'd rather stay it. in the constant. Uh-huh. Yeah, so that's often an issue. Right. Uh, changing continents can be very difficult. 
Steve, I'm going to kick you out of here and wrap you up. Thank you very much for coming in. We have a lot on the show coming ahead. We want to get down to the deep southern ocean. Nice to to see you for 2017, and we look forward to seeing your beautiful face in the studio a lot more. Thank you. Look forward to being here. That was um, Captain Windshift, a.k.a. Steve Howden, from the Port Melbourne Yacht Club. Excellent. You're listening to 3111. Wow, a thousand inflatable boats sailing down the era. That would be a sight to see indeed. It's 9.25. You are listening to Radio Marinara. Without further ado, we're going to cross down into uh, the east coast of Tasmania to catch up with our dive reporter, Terry Allen. Good morning, Terry. Good morning, Brian. So glad we've got you. We weren't sure for a while whether uh, we were going to have reception, but you've been sailing across... Um, we've got a very strong sailing theme already for, uh, for for this year. You've been sailing across Good. Bass Strait all night. Yeah, yeah. We've, uh, we left Wilson's... We left Melbourne on Wednesday, uh, came around the prom, um, had a night in Refuge Cove, and I went snorkelling, saw a few fish there, and then um, left... Uh, the next day, beautiful calm weather, round to Deal Island, um, which was incredible uh, island, and just pristine waters, no plastic or rubbish at all on the beaches, which was wonderful to see. So you... And, um, go on. No, no, go on. And, uh, yeah, so then we, we came around uh, towards uh, the top of Tassie, and we had a bad weather forecast, so we've decided to sail all night. Um, and we do shifts of uh, two hours on, four hours off. I'm on Mrs. Over Newton, a uh, beautiful boat out of uh, Royal Melbourne Yacht Squadron. And um, so t- tell us about Deal Island, because it's right smack bang in the middle of Bass Strait, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it has this, it's a group of islands. So There's a big island and then a couple of smaller islands, and there has a big path through the middle of it. So it creates a very nice sort of natural harbour. And uh, you can get out and walk around beautiful bushwalks. Um, and there's a lighthouse there that was built in 1842. Um, and a beautiful old uh, house is left there. And there's a museum of all the families that have been the caretakers at the lighthouse. Um, and, uh, you know, they, I think, did some whaling and stuff there ages ago. A few shipwrecks there as well. Um, but, oh, it's just an incredible place. You just, yeah, and there was the caretakers lived there for three months, um, just a volunteer role, and I thought, wow, that's a very nice holiday. And, uh, yeah, and good walking and that. We only had one night there, unfortunately, but we're just coming... We've come right down the Tasmanian coast overnight, and we're just off Bichonneau, if your listeners know the area, and we are surrounded right at this time by common dolphins all around the boat, babies, huge pod... We've got seals sunning themselves and we've just had a little fairy penguin pop up. So there's enough marine science here to... Uh, <laughs> Terry, that is so beautiful. I'm really glad that we've got you on the phone. It's Dr Beach here. How are you going? Happy New Year. Oh, I've, I've just been yeah, looking up Deal year. Island here. So Deal Island, is like, it's not that far from the prominence, but it's actually part of Tassie. So that's where the boundary yeah. starts, I guess. Yeah, well, when you look from the prom, um, you see Redondo Island and that's actually part of Tasmania. And then when you get to deal to the, the, I think it's the Kent group, I think there's a mixture, uh, sorry, no, the Houghton group, there's a mixture of Victoria and Tasmania and then, then uh, deal becomes part of, uh, yeah, it's definitely part of Tasmania. So, um, yeah, there was only one other yacht there. So, you know, you just got this lovely feeling of remote. But just the island as you walk is just covered in wallabies. I think they're tamer wallabies. And Cape Barren geese. And they're all very tame, of course, so... 
just wandering around and um yeah just the seascapes you know the gorgeous red red granite um rock um huge cliffs uh yeah just awe-inspiring really was and terry did you say you were aboard mrs over newton Mrs. Overnewton, that's right. Oh, is that the vessel that's named after the Overnewton Castle in Keelor? It is a, a named after the Overnewton Castle. Excellent. So I the thought... owner of the boat, Les, Les Norton, he owns uh, Overnewton Castle, and so he uh, decided to name the boat Mrs. Overnewton. Fantastic. I know Dr. Norton, he's my gastroenterologist. I'm sure I'm one of a million there to him, but don't worry. So, what are your plans now, Terry? Um, how are you heading? Are you heading to um, uh, Launceston or to Hobart? No, we're heading to Hobart. So today we're just we're about five hours out of Wine Glass Bay. So we're going to pull in there. We may anchor tonight and and do a bit of swimming and walking at Freycinet National Park. And then tomorrow, next couple of days, we'll head down towards Port Arthur. Um, and then eventually the plan is to hit Hobart in by Thursday night. And then the Wooden Boat Festival is on in Hobart. And that's what uh, the sailors here wanted to go and see. And I'll spend a few days there and then... And then I jump on a plane and fly back home. So, will you be in? Uh, will you be at the Wooden Boat Festival next weekend? Yes, I'll be there for Friday, Saturday, um, and then I leave on Sunday morning. But yeah, so you can you can imagine what's going through Bronze Barn at the moment. <laughs> will you be Will you be there this time next week? <laughs> Well, I will, yes. I, I should be. I, I, gotta, I think my flight's about 12 o'clock. So, I, yeah, if it's 9 o'clock, I, I might actually still be there. So, yes, I'm happy to do a wooden boat festival. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right, I'm going to... Um, we'll, we'll keep in touch during the week. But, yeah, that would be fantastic. And then when you're back in yeah. Melbourne, obviously we'll get you into the studio and start talking diving again. Yeah, sure, yeah. And, um, of course, your, your daughter, I'm sure you already mentioned it, has uh, had a great time doing bubble makers, so that was a wonderful, wonderful experience for both of us. It was lovely. Yeah, it was good fun. All right, we're going to let you go. Thanks heaps, Terry. Okay, no problem and, at all. And safe travels, and, um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll catch up with you next week. That'll be great. Okay, all right. See you. See Bye. you. Say hi to Jeff. See ya. Bye for now. Terry Allen there. From halfway down the right-hand side of Tasmania. That's what a right. beautiful, evocative description that what was. amazing. That Corpuses, sounds like... penguins... Sounds like a fantastic trip. Yeah, Jeff's Terry's partner and uh, and his skippering, Mrs. Over Newton. Mrs. Over Newton. <laughs> it's a I small see where world, my fees have gone. <laughs> now this week, eighty-three of Victoria's smartest young ecologists, zoologists, botanists, and modellers are assembling at RMIT. They're doing this because they've all got one thing in common, aside from being passionate and all fired up about science. They're all researching something in the field of biodiversity. Over two days, student and early career researchers from Deakin University, RMIT, University of Melbourne, Monash University and La Trobe University. I think we've got all bases covered there. They're going to come together and talk about species and communities, terrestrial ecology, fire and climate, urban conservation. There's even a marine environment session. To tell us more, a very big welcome now to PhD student and conference organiser, Matthew Slinsky. Good morning, Matthew. Good morning. Thanks, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. We're very excited to um, see your email that came through to Triple R late last week. 
Yeah. Yeah, right. letting um, us know all about this. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, it's late last week because uh, we're students and we're, we're still carrying on with our research projects, but we're still trying to organise this conference. So. Oh, no, it's fantastic. And uh, <laughs> I should say too, I meant to say this earlier, because um, I did do the big build-up about getting in touch with um, with Sea Shepherd. We couldn't actually get onto them on the line. We had you, we, you were coming in anyway, so we've kind of, thank you for being flexible and jumping in because we thought we had another 10 minutes before you were coming in so we're going to continue to um to try and get sea shepherd on the line but we might have to hold that one off for a week or two now you're talking about being busy and that was my first question aren't you busy enough doing a phd <laughs> that you have to kind of throw in organizing an entire conference as well hats off well amazing we've got, we've got to go 16 dedicated uh, phd students and uh, postdocs that are also working on the on the conference and so it's not just one person. It's, it's a, a, a group effort. And uh, we all kind of came together um, about six months ago and threw this thing in, in six months. So it was actually a lot of uh, dedication. But, uh, um, yeah, we still carry on with our research. And, yeah, it is. And how did it all come about? Were you just kind of sitting around having beers one night and thought, yeah, look, you know. Because often with these conferences, they're usually put together by an association and there's a huge steering committee behind it and there's sponsors and, like, there's this huge big thing. How did this actually come about? Well, it's a series of conversations uh, taking place with uh, both um, uh, professors and and uh, senior academics and uh, students like myself and so uh, kind of came together and there was there's so many there's such a diversity of research hubs within uh, the Melbourne area and greater Victoria um, all focused on biodiversity and uh, ecological research and we thought well you know we're not we're not collaborating enough or, or some people are collaborating within the research hubs uh, but we wanted more connections and we also wanted more uh, access to practitioners and that's so there's a real practitioner focus and policymaker focus on this so we've got we invited uh, quite a few people that are actually on the on the ground working for NGOs like uh, zoos Victoria or for delp like a government agency so um, they're also doing research, and we want to invite them and uh, give them an opportunity to uh, talk about their research and, and collaborate. It's all about breaking down cycle, silos between uh, disciplines and different universities and academics and practitioners. Yeah. Matthew, what, what talk are you looking for? What, what, what are a couple of the talks that you're really looking forward to? Who are you really well, excited about as you mentioned, having landed? Uh, yeah, uh, Sheree Maris, you uh, said his birthday last week? Oh, no, this, this? no, that was P.T. Hirschfield, but I know oh. Sheree and P.T. know each other very uh, well. Okay, my yeah. apologies. No. Uh, anyways, Sheree Maris is going to be speaking on the first day, at the end of the first day, um, so I'm looking forward to her talk, and um, she is... Uh, uh, we, we have had Sheree on the show before, yeah, she, okay. she made that document, well, yeah. the movie about Under the Under the Bay, I think Mel- it's called. Yeah, Melbourne Down Under. Melbourne Down Under, that's it, yeah. 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 Oh, okay, cool. So we'll be discussing um, that project and another mm-hmm. project on the Great Barrier Reef, uh, some sort of international uh, uh, display uh, exhibition. And uh, she'll also be discussing, you know, basically, you know, how can researchers make their impact beyond academia? What, what happens if, if we don't get into a, 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 a postdoc role? How can we make an impact outside of uh, the university system? Mm. Uh, for example, coming on radio Sunday morning and talking about That's it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> what's uh, what's your what's your PhD, Matthew? My PhD is more on the social side. So, okay. I, as undergraduate, um, and I'm obviously from the states, I studied uh, wildlife biology and more the ecology focus. But uh, I've kind of transitioned to social science. I'm really interested in human behavior, how to shape, how to how to engender stewardship amongst uh, individuals, whether you're living in a city and if you're urban residents or rural residents. And uh, so that's my research. Right, focus. and in the general kind of environmental area. Uh, so in terms of behaviour change, because sure. behaviour change is huge. Right. Within the conservation area, right. actually uh, working on a prioritisation of, of behaviour change projects. So. Oh, wow. 
And we talk about this a lot on this program about how how it, it's interesting when you're really trying to promote behaviour change and you're always going to have a receptive audience and then you're going to have a completely unreceptive audience and then you've got this group in the middle that maybe just aren't aware of the impact of what they're doing and is that kind of the, the general area that you're working in? Right, it's how to, how to reach those people in the middle but also, um, yeah, uh, uh, making small changes to people's daily uh, uh, impact to biodiversity. How, wow. can you, how can you trigger those those uh, those events where you, you can actually shape uh, somebody's behaviour? Yes. Oh, we're going to get you in again to talk about your <laughs> area of expertise in particular. Dr Beach, sorry, you had a question. Uh, well, well, just back to the conference. It's, it's, so, so it's not particularly just marine, it's biodiversity in right. general. It's terrestrial ecosystems as well yeah. as marine policy impacts uh the dealing with uncertainty in your modeling efforts for for species populations and so yeah it's a it's a, a, a vast array of different topics within uh biodiversity and you've got um 83 presenters yeah how did, did you think it was going to end up being this big no we didn't we we were a bit worried in december when uh we were you know maybe up to 40 uh, presenters but uh, uh over the last um, month uh we've it, it's it's been a lot of outreach to different uh, organizations and different research hubs, but um, we've got a, a full docket and it's going to be a full-on conference, but um, it's going to be fantastic. I think it's going to be an awesome uh, group of speakers. And just coming back, these are all early career researchers, so they're masters, PhD students. Yeah, even a couple of honor students who had uh, some nice. really, really impressive research. And so, and then plus the plenary speakers. Yeah. Can we go through the marine environment session? Mm. You've got that in front of you, Dr. Beach. Um, or do you want me to grab it? Yeah, here you go. <laughs> okay. And just while we're looking at that, Matthew, so if somebody is listening to the program this morning and thinks, what, well, RMIT's just down the road, I'd love to go and hear a couple of talks. Is that possible or does one have to be um, paid up to go? Yeah, we, well, we have uh, open registration, so uh, people can actually come into the conference and uh, register on the day that they arrive. Okay. Oh, that's good. Um, so I can and, get a day registration. Yeah, so uh, we're pretty much at capacity now. We have around 200 people, um, but it's likely we'll be able to, to uh, have a few more, few more registrants come in. So, yeah, they're more than welcome. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, you guys should all come in. Oh, <laughs> definitely. Especially for the Marine uh, session. I'm going to see if I can swing this. So um, in terms of other commitments, uh, so Tuesday, which is the first, so it's Tuesday and right. Wednesday this week, mm-hmm. on Tuesday, 11 o'clock is the marine environment session. So I'm just going to go through who's presenting that because I think this will be of particular interest to uh, to our audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got Cathy Cavallo from Monash University, Meta barcoding analysis of DNA in scats reveal jelly vore diet among food consumed by little penguins. <laughs> who doesn't love a good little penguin science story? Yeah, and jellyfish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who else have you got there? Um, well, we have Justine Cordalis and Nicola Sondermeyer. Um, we're going to be just discussing topics related to uh, a, a bottlenose dolphin species uh, recently described in 2011, uh, a bit about their social networks and how they interact with other marine life. Um, Chantal Ford from Deakin University uh, will be uh, is looking at a ge- uh, geospatial analysis to identify changing patterns of marine animal stranding. So um, potentially using that uh, analysis to help understand how marine mammals are being impacted by climate change mm-hmm. and how they're differing their pattern movement patterns. Got Sarah Murphitt. Applications of unmanned aerial ve- unmanned aerial vehicles in intertidal reef monitoring. Oh, that's a yeah. subject close to my heart. Uh, She's from Deakin Uni. Reefs or, or the drone part of it? The intertidal part. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, the, and the drone part. And who of it. That, that's, drone. Pretty, that's pretty amazing what people can do with drones now with these kinds of surveys. I mean, I heard about somebody a little while ago who was getting all sorts of important information. In fact, she might even be talking at this 
conference, I forget the name, unfortunately, but on sea turtle distribution okay. and, in fact, how you can even sex... By drone. By drone. Huh. Which is amazing. Yeah, and the potential for uh, use of drones in intertidal reef monitoring, I kind of think back to my own PhD where I was on my, you know, hands and knees counting and measuring limpets day in, day out for the better part of three years to be able to actually get a drone to kind of whiz backwards and forwards and, and do all of that spatial analysis work in the lab. I'm just thinking about the efficiencies that might come from that. So I guess that's what she's looking at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's another one uh, by uh, Mark Chalou, and forgive me if I pronounce that last name wrong. Um, he's from Monash University, and he's discussing uh, surfing environmental change. And kind of an interesting uh, talk um, where he's looking at some preliminary research on of Indonesian surfers that, yeah, they, um, by knowing a place, they've been lifelong surfers in one area. They've got a real experiential knowledge of that area, and and using that um, that that valuable uh, kind of uh, knowledge base uh, to understand coastal change, and uh, yeah, it might make a real contribution to uh, to his research project. Surfing and PhD, yeah. Doctor Beach. <laughs> That does sound pretty good. But Sounds it, like the ultimate. That, that does sound like a very fascinating talk, Matthew. Had once somebody gets to know a particular area, then of course they have that that buy-in. I mean, that sounds yeah. a bit kind of financial, but no, definitely yeah. that uh, that a real a real tie-in or a place attachment to an area. Yeah. They, they understand the changes, like farmers do, like local indigenous groups do. Um, that and that can be passed down through a lifetime, and also really impart you know impact research. So. Yeah. Cool. Thanks so much for coming in. Well, thank you for having me. We and appreciate it. So, RMIT, Tuesday and Wednesday, if our listeners are interested, are you going to be publishing proceedings or anything like that? We, or? we, we will... It's a lot of work. Potentially, yeah. Um, it's a lot of work, but we potentially have some podcasts uh, to Great. put up. So do some audio recordings. So thanks so much for bringing this to our attention. Thanks for having me. And you've given us about eight interview subjects through 2017, so we'll be trying to get in touch with all these PhD students and find out what they're doing. And all the best of luck. Right on. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. It's going to be amazing. Matthew Slinsky there from RMIT talking about the Victorian Biodiversity Conference. This is Radio Marinara. On a Sunday morning. It is. And the uh, crew from Radiotherapy are already here. Some of them are getting ready for their first 2017 show as well. Yeah. So for some of you who might have been hoping to um, join us for a conversation with the Southern Ocean, we have not been able to get that phone line to work. No, we suspect the issues are technical rather than availability. (laughs) Yeah, we're trying to find a ship in the middle of the Southern Ocean by phone from East Brunswick. (laughs) You know, what could go wrong? So we're going to keep persevering and try and work out whether this is a possibility or we may wait until they're actually back in Melbourne because I'm very keen to catch up with Captain Wondell and Blink and um, many thanks too to Adam Burling from Sea Shepherd. He looks after all their media because he's been helping us secure some time with her. Which gives us some time to talk about some news. I've got some news. Unfortunately, a bit of sad news though, Bron. Mm. Did you hear that this week that Rob Stewart uh, is missing on a dive? Yes. So... Yeah, very mm. sad. So Rob is known as the director of a, water co- a movie, 2006 film called Shark Water, which uh, came out, aired in Melbourne actually, um, and it's a fantastic film about uh, the impacts on sharks from 
humans, I suppose, really quite broadly. Mm. And uh, they were out actually doing some filming on the the sequel that was uh, will we'll probably will who who will see whether it be released soon uh, when they surfaced from a dive. Um, and they both came up, they'd been on rebreather systems, which is different to the normal scuba that you'd use. Uh, and uh, the first two divers were pulled into the boat and one of them passed out. And then when they went, circled round to get Rob, they think he's passed out as well and just uh, sunk back into the water. And, so, we, and we, we don't know any more than that? We don't know any more than that. We do know that the US Coast Guard found him at a depth of... Uh, 67 metres. Oh, wow. Just only uh, with a short distance from the actual site where he'd gone missing. But, um, yeah, obviously he'd, he'd passed away. So that's terrible. very sad news. Yeah, yeah, really sad news. We've got some more sad news. We do have some more, more sad news. And that listeners might have heard earlier this year on the 6th of January that uh, Tilikum, the uh, killer whale um, made famous by uh, the movie Blackfish, and I'd probably like to say that it was made famous by that movie rather than its performances at SeaWorld mm. because I think the the movie has done a lot towards um, improving outcomes for uh, killer whales in captivity and hopefully that'll continue on. Uh, and it was confirmed on Friday that he died from bacterial pneumonia. Yeah, which is quite really uh, a difficult disease to treat in uh, such a large animal in, in, in captivity. Um, they did say that he'd been... Um, they did say that he, you know, was getting to the end of his sort of life, you know, that, I don't know why they're trying to justify that, but because we know that killer whales live way longer in the wild, so... That's right. He was 38, I think, wasn't he? Or in his uh, late 30s? And, he was and 36 years 36. old. 36. And orcas yep. can live up to well into their 80s, yep. 90s. That's so, right. Yep. So that's a pretty sad outcome for him. Yeah. Yeah. I think, have we got any better news than that? Well, we have just, uh, just on <laughs> killer whales. Now. On killer whales, I'm just going to go back into my Dropbox folder. There was a paper, I wasn't going to talk about this morning, but now that you've mentioned whales, um, and killer whales in particular, there's a paper which is appearing in um, its current biology as on how menopause emerged in whales. And killer whales, so humans have menopause, so females have live, have great lifespans after being post-reproductive. The only other species on Earth to do that are a couple of species of whales, killer whales being one of them. And there are people who have done some research, but I haven't read the paper. But anyway, if anyone wants to go to current biology, there's a fantastic paper called, um, uh, well, it's Nature Alerted It To Me on how menopause is operating in killer whales. But the papers that I have prepared, I just want to talk about these for a couple of minutes. So the current biology paper is Reproductive Conflict and the Evolution of Menopause in Killer Whales, which is in a very recent issue of uh, current biology, which is freely available online to those that want to go and get it. Here's another interesting little article. This is um, appearing in the Journal of Experimental Biology, and it's about harbour seals um, and how harbour seals can been newly discovered that they can detect water currents which are produced by flatfish so things like flounder so ah. seals will eat pelagic fish things in the you know in the middle of the water and they'll also go for things which are on the bottom so this will be uh, quite quite a small scale in terms of the current yeah tiny current yeah um it's been known for a long time that seals with their whiskers can detect well and through their noses as well can detect um, the scent of fish and nail them like that, um, but it's been a little bit. Deb- it's been debated whether they can detect water currents. And these guys did a um, all these people did a um, 
Benedict Nister Ock and Wolfer Hunker uh, from, I think these people are in the Netherlands. They did um, this experiment where they had these um, kind of water current maker things. <laughs> so they had these water currents being produced mm. and there was no, no fish in there. But they had the, they could tra- they trained the harbour seals. They, in fact, they even put blindfolds on them. They had three or four harbour seals in this tank to go and hang over the water currents when the water current was switched on. And then they would approach the water current from a particular direction each time. And from these various different lines of evidence, which I'm explaining quite badly, they were able to determine that they could, in fact, detect the water currents that these flatfish are making just below the sand. So it's nothing to do with sight. It's nothing to do with their sense of smell. Um, But this is a newly discovered way in which they can detect prey. And they're getting this, presumably, through their whiskers. So they think that they're picking up on all of this through their whiskers and that's how they're getting down and nailing these flatfish, which are just below the sand. don't know how I feel about having blindfolds on seals. Well, I'm like that with all sorts of experimental biology on animals. When you look at the tags that they might put on birds, for example, Mm. or tags that people put on seals. But then again, you know... Now we have this knowledge which takes us forward and could be used in all kinds of different ways. Yes. So it, it's, it's, yeah, we're not going to open that can of worms, but um, very interesting. I've got a couple of quick plugs I just want to get in because I'm mindful of the time because uh, I know you've got another paper there, Dr. Beach, but just I really wanted to get these ones in. Uh, one is the DSA, Disabled Surface Association, uh, are having an event. Uh, actually, today there's one in Ocean Grove. So uh, 8.30 registration, which was obviously a while ago, but if you're, um, if you're down that way and want to take part or even to go and speak with some of the great people at DSA about how you might want to get involved at uh, future events. They're having another one on the 5th of March. So we'll get in touch with um, DSA Ocean Grove Branch to talk to them about that. Uh, on the other side, on the Mornington Peninsula, um, of which our good Dr. Surf is, uh, is a very active member, they've got an event coming up uh, next Saturday, the 11th of February, uh, at, at Inverloch, Inverloch Trial Day, so not at Point Leo, but at Inverloch, uh, so you can get in touch with Disabled Surface Association if you're interested in that one. They've got one coming up on the 4th of March at Point Leo as well, so uh, we'll try and catch up with Dr. Surf before that. The other plug I wanted to get in was for the Thin Green Line. They've got a a really cool uh, evening coming up on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, February 7, Rockin' for the Rangers, featuring Dan Sultan and Friends. That's going to be on at the Gasso from 7.30 until 11.30. So Thin Green Line, amazing uh, group, organisation, do wonderful things in supporting rangers all around the world in their role in protecting and conserving animals uh, Worldwide, and, and in supporting families that are left behind. That's right. After rangers are, have been killed. That's right. So, uh, rocking for the rangers, Dan Sultan and friends. It's uh, around. It's really for a whole evening of entertainment. Thirty dollars or something thereabouts. Um, so, go to the Thin Green Line website. Uh, we'll put some details on our Facebook page for that. We've got about a minute left. It's probably not enough for you to no, summarise your I, paper. I, I don't want to get into marine reserve targets to sustain and rebuild unregulated fisheries. <laughs> that just about took a minute. <laughs> Fascinating Maybe. paper, but perhaps next week. Let's wind up and, um, and we can give the doctors more time than we usually do. Hey, uh, thank you, Dr Beach. 
It's been a pleasure. And thank you, Angeline. And thank you, Bron Burton and, uh, and Kent yes. on the panels. Thank you so much, Kent. And there have been a couple of calls uh, while we've been on air. Uh, we Normally, Kent is uh, in the... Well, sometimes Kent is in the green room and able to take calls, but we haven't had anyone today. If there's anything you really want to talk to us about, you can uh, give us a call back in a couple of minutes and we'll be in the green room and, and can answer the phone ourselves. Um, thanks to our guests too today, Captain Winshift, uh, and uh, thanks to Matthew Slinsky from RMIT. Next week's program... Dr. Beach, you're back. I am. Great. We'll do some more science. Yes. I think Neil Blake's coming in too. And we'll have all things wet and salty for you once again. (laughs) Sayonara. Have a great Sunday. We'll catch you next week. See ya. Bye for now. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.